Take your Bible, turn with me to James chapter 2 tonight. James chapter 2. I'm thankful a couple weeks ago uh, for James Collard filling in for me in our study in James. And I have to admit to you, I'm going to cover a little bit of the same ground that he did, more as a running start than to uh, try to re-preach what he has already done, such a good job of explaining to our church family. Uh, but I think it will help us as we look through the rest of James chapter 2 and verses 14 through 26 tonight. As I get closer to uh, turning 40, um, I keep hearing from people and reading things online about what the doctors say I should be doing and uh, how I need to make sure my blood pressure is getting checked and my cholesterol being checked. I need to have regular dental exams and eye exams and I need to be screened for diabetes and have my eyes checked and the list goes on and on and on. I wonder why it takes people to turn 40 before they begin to start thinking about their health. I wonder if people were to take care of their health along the way by eating and drinking and sleeping properly that they might uh, find themselves in a little bit different position than at least many Americans do as they hit that stage in life. Would that person have issues? Probably. Age uh, always catches up with everybody at some point or another. Uh, but maybe those issues uh, could be managed or could be dealt with if they were looked at sooner. And sometimes a physical well check is what is required for some to give them the reality check that they need about their physical health and to adjust. Tonight, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I'm not going to give you your physical well check, but I think this does give us a spiritual reality check about our faith and its reality if it's real in our life and if we're truly walking as the Lord would have us to walk. Ultimately, the question when we see this is very simple. Is our faith alive or is it dead? It's interesting to me because this passage doesn't so much focus on the measure of faith, but as to whether that faith that we have is living faith or if that faith is dead. I want to read just one verse out of this passage as our text, and then we'll look back at a broader context here to understand this together. James 2 and verse 26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. A very simple thought. So as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And beginning in verse 14 and looking down through the end of this chapter, I think we'll very clearly see seven different checkpoints or checks, if you will, on our faith as to whether it is living faith or not. The first one we see beginning in verse 14, as the question is asked, what doth it profit? You know, that's a question everybody should ask before they make any kind of investment before they jump into a new endeavor, before they begin a new uh, type of business, a new workout plan, a new diet, a really new anything, we ought to ask ourselves, what does it profit? What is the value 
in doing this particular activity. What doth it profit, the scripture says, my brethren, though a man he say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Now this question in this verse is one where many have struggled with how James fits into the broader context of Scripture. But what is he saying here? If, he, if somebody says he has faith and he doesn't have works, can faith save him? I think what he's telling us here in this question is that is the type of faith that doesn't have works, is that real faith at all? Or is there a faith that can have faith without any substance or any works behind it? If you're not sure about the understanding of this verse, all we have to do is continue on and look at the next couple of verses in context, which say, verse 15, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you saying to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit. I like how James sets up his argument here. All right, if you weren't sure about my statement about faith and works, then let me ask you another question. If you saw somebody who had a great physical need and you were to say to that person, ah, be warmed and filled, then would there be any profit in that statement for that person? In fact, I think what James points out there is actually an issue that we really need to think about in our Christian life. Because the reality is it's easy for us to say, oh, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Oh, be warmed and filled. Oh, I hope that everything turns out okay. But then we go on our merry way and think nothing else about that person in need. And James asks a very important question. What does it profit? Is there any profit in that kind of statement? And I would say it's a rhetorical question, and, it, and the answer is very clear. No, there is no profit in just telling somebody, hey, I hope it all works out, but we don't follow that through. If there's a need that we have the ability to meet or to do something about, we ought to do something with it. So can the kind of faith that does not produce works save a person? James is making the point here that true faith works. And if your faith does not pr produce works, then it is a false faith, and it is not truly faith in God. Very simply, he's teaching us that living faith speaks and acts. There are actions behind this faith. It just doesn't just talk, it walks. It doesn't just say words of compassion. It is followed up by works of compassion. I think we could say with great confidence based on this passage of Scripture that the only possible evidence of true faith is works. I think even Jesus Christ himself demonstrated this in his work in the man who was unable to walk. Remember this man and his four friends brought him to Jesus. They had to tear a hole in the roof and lower him down to the feet of Jesus. And what did Jesus do when he first looked at the man? He said, your sins be forgiven you. And of course, then he knew what was in everybody's heart. 
who can forgive sins but God, they thought, as they looked at, at this man and they heard what Jesus said. So Jesus, wanting to prove himself and prove to these people that he was able to forgive sin, he asked a very important question. He said, which is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or rise, take up thy bed, and walk? Of course, the answer being, well, it'd be easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody really knows what happened on the inside. So Jesus, to show that he had power to forgive sin, looked at the man and he said, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And of course, we know the rest of the story. The man jumped up, he picked up his bed and he ran from that place so thankful and so excited because of the work that God had done in his life. But we step back from that story and I think we should ask ourselves the question, the man was able to walk, yes. Was he also uh, the recipient of Christ's forgiveness for his sins? Yes, he was. Christ proved his power over sin as he also spoke to that man and told him that he was able to walk. In the same way as we live out and demonstrate our faith through our works, we demonstrate the power of God at work in us to save us from our sin and to put us on a path of new life and new works that are pleasing to Him. Both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ emphasized this truth through their teaching and preaching during their ministry here. Let me give you a few scriptures. I'm going to read these very quickly, but if you want to jot, jot these references down, you might enjoy taking some time this week to read through them and meditate that, through them on your own. John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, verses 7 through 10, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. What were they relying upon? They were relying upon their knowledge. They were relying upon their lineage. And Jesus says, I, or John the Baptist here is speaking of what the Lord had said, that he is able to raise up stones. Verse 10, And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So how do we know this is a good tree? Because of its fruit. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your, what does he say? Good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Or how about Matthew 7 in verse 21 where Jesus said, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So how do we know that somebody has true faith? Through the fact that they are doing the will of God. Or take, for example, the parable of the sower. Jesus says in Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which hath received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. 
yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. And verse 23 says, But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit. Here are those works. And bringeth forth some an hundredfold and some sixty and some thirty. Jesus said in John chapter 15, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. John 15 verse 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. So as we are having this reality check on our faith here from James chapter 2, we learn first of all that living faith or true faith speaks and acts. If we're all walk and no talk, or if we're all talk and no walk, then our faith is just noise. In the same way, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 speaks about love. If, if we just are all noise and all talk, but we don't have charity, if we don't have love, we are just sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. We have nothing that really profits or makes a difference in the life of another. The second way that we can check our faith and see how we are doing, if it is living faith or dead faith, is found in verses 17 through 19. Here we see that living faith both believes and receives. I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. Verse 17 says, Even so faith, of James 2, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. It's a fascinating description here because here he's pointing out the truth that the devil believes in God. I've heard a lot of people make a similar statement when asked about their relationship with God. They say, oh, I'm fine. I believe in God. Now, I usually try to find a kinder way to put it. But the very simple truth is this. Well, congratulations. You and the devil both are at the same level in your relationship with God. You both believe. In fact, the devil here, it says, believes and trembles. The Pharisees believed in a Messiah, but they did not receive him when he came. The devils believe in Jesus, but don't accept him as their Lord and Savior. In fact, I think it's interesting, verse 19, he says, Thou believest that there is one God? James is writing to a lot of Jewish believers that were scattered around in the Christians scattered in other places. And the Jews had a saying called the Shema that they would repeat each and every day. And it went something like this. The Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You can find that in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. 
This is the confession of faith for a devout Jew, and they recite it twice every day. And you can find more of this in Numbers chapter 11, verses 13 to 21, and also over in Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 to 41. These verses were a way to show a major difference between the Jewish belief system and the belief system of the pagans around them. It differentiated them as monotheists over those who were polytheists, those who believed in many gods. The Jews believed that there is one God. But let me, on a side note, this verse does not leave out the Trinity. Some say, well, but don't we believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Yes, one God in three persons. In fact, the word translated here in our Bible as one is not speaking of singleness, but rather unity. It's the same word, the, the Hebrew word that's then uh, used there in Numbers is the same word used in Genesis 2 and verse 24 where it says that a man and a woman, when they get married, they come together to become one flesh. Yes, there's an idea of singularity, one, but it's a, more of an idea of a unity, two, becoming one. And in, with God, we have three persons in one. So James is saying that just because you're a devout Jew, go back to our text in James chapter 2, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well, this does not mean that you have genuine faith. Being, being religious is not enough. Being able to recite a creed is not enough. Being able even to memorize scripture is not enough because true faith, genuine faith, real faith works. It works. When Christ comes into a life, things change. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. To say that you believe in God and yet not have works to back up your belief would be to have the same kind of belief in God that a devil or a demon has in God. You see, demons are very orthodox in their doctrine. They know the truth about God. They know the truth about Christ and the Spirit, but they hate it and they hate them. If we have genuine saving faith, then we have received Jesus Christ and we are willing to follow Him. The Pharisees and the demons believed he existed, and the demons even believed that he is God. But neither group was willing to receive him and to follow him by faith. So living faith believes and receives, is willing to then follow after God in obedience to him. Back in James chapter 2, let's look at verse number 20. Here we'll see that living faith is not empty or foolish. Remember our question at the beginning of our text, what does it profit? What value is there in this? Well, he's going to tell us here, it's not empty or foolish. Verse 20, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? This verse calls anyone a fool who would think that just saying something is true is enough to prove to everyone that he really believes it. Wilt thou know, O vain man, you one that says, well, I have faith, 
or you one that says, well, the Lord our God is one Lord. He says, you're a vain man if you just speak it, but you don't live it. If your life doesn't match up with what you say. Even the world understands this. My pastor used to say very often, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Let's try to say it together. How about that? That'll help us tonight. Here we go. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Pretty good. Let's try it again. Here we go. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. I don't know if the grammar's great there, but all that walking and talking tends to stick in my mind. If you live a life without care for the lost, then you're, for the lost, then your faith is vain. If you live a life without conviction of right or wrong, then your faith is vain. If you have real faith, you will live it out. Faith without works is dead. We see next in verse 21, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? So in the first few points that we've looked at tonight, he's emphasized the fact that we need our works to demonstrate our faith, that faith without works is dead. And then here in the latter part of the text, he's going to give us two beautiful illustrations of faith. And James, as he's writing to these Jewish believers, would have known the story of Abraham and Isaac, and they would have also known the story of Rahab. And even as James reminds us, Rahab the harlot. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, the one to whom God came and made a special promise of land, seed, and blessing if he would follow God. And as Abraham followed him, God blessed him. God blessed him with a son by the name of Isaac. We looked at that just a few weeks ago in a Sunday morning message. But you'll remember the story when God came to Abraham and he told him, take your son, the son of promise, and I want you to take him and sacrifice him to me. James refers to this in verse 21 of James chapter 2. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Abraham obeyed God even when it meant sacrificing his own son. In Genesis 22, we have this story as Abraham took his son to the sacrifice. Isaac was the son of promise. And Isaac then asked his father, he said, Father, we have fire, we have wood, but where is the lamb? And remember Abraham's statement. He answered his son in faith. And he said very simply, God will provide himself a lamb. What great faith Abraham demonstrated. And this helps us to see that living faith obeys even when the outcome seems uncertain. We know that faith without works is dead, so what does he mean? What kind of works? Well, how about the kind of fruit or the kind of works that is willing to obey God even when the outcome seems uncertain? God, why would you ask me to give my son 
to you. God, why would you take the life of my son, my son that you've promised to me in my old age? Why would you do that? Abraham could not know, but he did have faith in God that God would provide himself a lamb. But Abraham's faith was willing to work because he didn't just make that statement to Isaac. If he had just made that statement and then turned and gone back home, what would it have profited? Nothing. I'm concerned that many times in our churches, in our own lives, in our homes, especially for those who have grown up around the Bible and knowing the truth, we make great statements of faith. We quote the word of God and yet we fail to live it out because we're not sure about the outcome. Abraham demonstrated his faith through his work. He didn't just make a great theological statement. God will provide himself a lamb. No, he put feet to his faith. He climbed up that mountain. He took Isaac and he bound him up and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. And he had his arm raised ready to take his son's life. And then God stopped him and said, there's a ram. And showed him where there was a ram. And, and he gave him a sacrifice to replace Isaac. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us and what God did for us. You know, when God sent his son to die, he sent him to be the sacrifice for the world. Living Faith obeys when God says to do something, even when we can't see the entire end from the beginning. Living faith prays for the lost family member or friend that seems unreachable. That person you think they'll never listen, they'll never respond. Living faith shares the gospel with those who are lost and bound up in their sin, in the knowledge that God transforms lives. He takes broken things and he mends them. He takes dead things and brings them back to life. Living faith starts churches in difficult areas. Living faith is willing to leave the comforts of home behind and go to the place where God calls and where God sends. Living faith gives to missions around the world. Living faith puts the things of God ahead of the pretty things of this world. Living faith obeys even when the outcome seems uncertain. James gives us this wonderful example of Abraham and his faith. Not only did Abraham's faith work even when the outcome, outcome seemed uncertain, we also see that his faith persevered to the end. Living faith perseveres to the end. Look at verse 22. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect or complete? I mean, we think of Abraham as a man of faith long before he was ever asked to take his son Isaac and to sacrifice him, right? He was a man of faith in God who trusted God and he left his home in Ur of the Chaldees and he traveled to a land that he didn't know, to a land that God had promised him. That took great faith. But God increased his faith or God worked through his faith in an even greater way when he asked him for something even more precious. He asked him for his son Isaac. And in this, James describes, he says, his faith 
was made perfect. How was it made perfect or complete, made evident in his life? It was through his works. Faith is made complete or perfect when you back it up with godly works. You can talk a good game. But are you willing to walk by faith? Your faith is strengthened and able to endure hard times when it is backed up with consistent obedience to God. Abraham's faith was consistently proven by his works. It endured. And it got stronger. How much does it take to stop you? How strong is your faith? The genuineness of your faith is tested by how you're willing to go for God. Don't quit. Don't stop because it's difficult. Don't quit because the outcome is uncertain. Be willing to press forward. If by faith you know that God has called you to do it, God has made so many things clear to us in His Word that we then take and say, well, I know this is what the Word says, but this is how I feel. Or I understand what God has promised, but this is my situation. The Lord wants us to walk by faith, and that faith is demonstrated through obedience to His Word. We see faith, how it perseveres to the end, but also we see how living faith draws us closer to God. Some people get concerned in their life, well, I feel like I've hit this spiritual plateau. And we probably all go through those places at different times. I just feel like I'm, I'm struggling. I, I don't feel any closer to God than I used to be. Or maybe you look back at your life and you say, there was a time when I was a lot closer to God than I am right now. And I would love to sense that relationship and that nearness once again. Well, be willing to walk by faith. Look at verses 23 and 24. The scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Why was Abraham called the friend of God? Why was this relationship so special between Abraham and God? It was because Abraham demonstrated his faith by what he did. Abraham believed God. And he demonstrated his belief in God by his obedience to God. Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness before God. I think of that growing in a relationship as that relationship is tested and as we have to act out what our words say I think a picture of that takes place in our marriages I told my wife I loved her the day I married her but now I've had 17 years to have to demonstrate whether or not those words were true I have told her that again a few times in those last few years I try to do it as many times as I can every day but those words, what do they profit if there's no activity or action behind it to prove what my words are saying? What does it profit? We would say not very much. In fact, if we just speak words and our actions don't back them up, rather than there being profit, it probably ends up 
more going the other direction. It, it be becomes over time more destructive than it is profitable because we look more and more and more like a liar every day if our actions don't match up with our words. And oh, how true that is in our spiritual life, in our relationship with God. Abraham was known as the friend of God. And as James points out, it was because he walked by faith. He was willing to obey God, even in some very difficult situations. So let me say this to you tonight then. If you would be closer to God, then understand that God would have you to be willing to walk by faith. And that may be difficult at times. That may mean doing things that you know are true according to God's word, but they may not make sense to everybody else. They may not even feel really good when you start into it. I don't think Abraham was feeling good as he put his son up on the altar, but he was being obedient to the word of God. And it was through his demonstration of faith, through his choice to obey God, that God called him his friend. Living faith draws us closer to God. And then we have one more example here, and this is the final point that I want us to consider tonight. Living faith often goes against common sense. We would say that's definitely true with Abraham and Isaac, but I think we can also see that illustrated through the choices of Rahab, the harlot. Look at verse 25. Likewise also, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Hey, you say you can have faith, but you don't need works. Well, what does it profit? Just talking, but not actually following it up with actions. Even the devils believe and tremble, but their actions demonstrate that they have no faith. What about Abraham? He was willing to trust God even when that meant sacrificing his own son and God counted it to him for righteousness. Oh, and don't forget about Rahab. Rahab. Remember the lady who lived in Jericho? Only back then they wouldn't have even probably called her a lady. They just called her a harlot. This was a woman who had lived a wicked life, who had done many terrible things, but she by faith, recognized that God was doing something when the children of Israel came and they sent their spies into Jericho to spy out the promised land. The Bible tells us that she hid those spies in her home. And when the, when the officers of the law from Jericho came by, she said, well, I sent them out another way and they weren't able to find them. She hid them in her house. She got them out to safety. It's interesting, isn't it, that much, much later when they sent spies back into Jericho a second time, once again they stayed with Rahab. This is years and years later. And she still protected them once again at risk to her own personal safety and knowing and understanding that these people were coming in for the purpose of conquering her city in which she lived. Didn't put her in a very good circumstance from a human standpoint. But she understood. We don't understand all that Rahab knew during this time. 
But the Bible's very clear that she had faith and she trusted God and God blessed her for it. Rahab was the enemy. She was in a land that was being attacked by the Israelites. Her works demonstrated throughout most of her life that she was not a righteous woman, and yet she chose by faith to follow the Lord. Aren't you so thankful that your salvation is not because based on your own righteousness? Rahab's definitely wasn't. What an example of how God uses people that have very terrible pasts to bring glory to Him. But when Rahab chose by faith to follow God, God saved her and her entire family from destruction in Jericho. Joshua 2.4, the Bible says, The woman took the two men, hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. Joshua 2.15, it says, Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. In Joshua 6.17, it says, And the city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Hebrews 11, verse 31. We'll get there on Sunday mornings in a few weeks, but I had to read it now. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Living faith often goes against common sense. And our passage concludes where we started, verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. A spiritual reality check. What kind of faith do you have? Is it genuine faith? Does it work? After we pray in a moment, we're going to divide up and take some time to discuss a few questions together. Number one, how can you have faith that like Abraham's faith will do what to others may seem impossible? How did he get there? And I, you can talk about this more with each other, but I really believe that that was not something that he got to overnight. What did God use in his life, and what is God using in your life to grow your faith? Number two, Rahab demonstrated great faith. What opportunities has God given you to demonstrate faith, even when it seems to go against common sense? My hope is as you share this with each other, you might be an encouragement to somebody else. I'm not going to sit in my group and say, well, that clearly makes no sense, so that wasn't faith, because that would really not fit with the question, would it? But maybe the Lord's put you in a situation and you had to be able to trust God even when it didn't make common sense to everybody else. And if you'd be willing to share that, it might be an encouragement to somebody else there. Number three, and I'm giving somebody a a way out here, but I think it might be helpful to discuss. If you had to give your faith a score of 1 to 100, where would you be? If this is too personal, then at least share a way in which you can grow in your faith based on what we've heard tonight. I think we can all grow in our faith as the Lord would have us to grow. So if the scoring piece is not helpful to you, I'll let you off the hook on that one. But I think we all ought to at least take some time to evaluate and be able to encourage one another and pray with one another about how we can grow 
in our faith. And I think the more you do personalize that, and if you're willing to do that with your group of folks there, I think they can help and pray with you and encourage you about those things. Father, we thank you for the Word of God, and we thank you for the examples of Abraham and Rahab. These two people lived long ago, and we won't get to meet until heaven someday. But Lord, their example of faith is still a challenge to us today. Help us to be honest about the state of our own faith. Help us to examine our lives and ask a very important question. What does it profit? There are many people, I think, that are living their lives saying all of the right things, and yet there is no true profit in the Lord's economy because they're not living for you. Lord, help us not just to talk a good talk, but to live for you each day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.